Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, guys. I'm not getting overly optimistic about the government announcement, but I'm quite looking forward to sitting in somebody else's garden and having a beer. I think for the anxiety sufferers like me who listen to this podcast, or for anyone with a mental illness, it's nice to know that in a couple of months, we might be going back to normal. Let's talk about today's guest. He's the only person in this series that's outside the UK. He's a comedian. He's an actor. You might have seen him in the hilarious Netflix series Superstore as a security guard or as character Bud in Grace and Frankie. But the reason I asked him onto the stress sessions was down to his role in the Soul Pancake documentary Laughing Matters, where a group of comedians discuss how anxiety, depression and suicide affects their careers in comedy. It's a really interesting listen, so let's get into it. Here's the stress sessions with US comedian and actor Baron Vaughan. Hey Baron, how are you? Yeah, I can hear you. Ah, I'm okay. Sorry about the delay. No, that's fine. No worries. It's all good. I'm sorry that uh, my last appointment ran a little over, but it was therapy, so I'm in the perfect place for this. So to begin with, if you can start with, because I, I mean, I've done a lot of research on you. I know exactly who you are, um, but I think, and, and a lot of my listeners will probably know who you are as well, because you, yeah, you've, you've been in a lot of big TV shows and Netflix series and you've got a great comedy career and yeah so congratulations and yeah amazing well <laughs> thanks <Luke. laughs> i'll start i'll start with the flattery at the beginning <laughs> but well, yeah it's one of those things though you know like for a lot of people uh i have a very hard time recognizing that which i have achieved you know i always i i focus a little too much on that which i have yet to achieve yeah i think that's that is the thing about mental illness isn't it that you never really look at yourself as a success you just always look at yourself as oh I could be doing better mm, yeah yeah that that does happen a lot because it's sort of like it's very hard to be in the present moment you know mm. when you when you have these never-ending fixations <laughs> you know uh you know of all sort so it's kind of, uh, it's, it's very hard, you know, in the moment, especially, you know, in the midst of like being on a TV show is such a, um, it's a very overwhelming environment to create the thing. And so I, I spend a lot of time <laughs> trying to survive it, you know, day by day and recover and, and stay relatively sane and, and, you know, healthy, uh, whilst we're creating the show and then after months after when it's done i'm like oh okay that's fun (laughs) it looks that's fun that's that's cute you know but in the moment i'm like oh oh god did i do it okay and then um and then you see it and you're like ah sometimes i feel silly so silly from how much i freak out or stress out about 
things that end up okay in general. Um, sorry to fully take over. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's a, I completely get where you're coming from, though, because it's, it's like me, me doing this, hosting a podcast. It's completely out of my comfort zone. I'm, I'm a writer, so I, in my day job, I write communications for, to tell people about stuff in my workplace. That's basically what my job is. Being vocal with somebody and just speaking, that's not my norm. So stuff mm. like this completely freaks me out. And I don't know what made me do it. <laughs> and like I said, I think I just wanted to tell people about my story and, and, and let others tell their story too. So yeah. I completely get your, I, I feel completely out of my depth at the moment because I'm talking to you. I've started this little thing and I'm, I'm speaking to Baron Vaughan. It's, it's amazing. Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm speaking to Luke Clark, so it's a whole different <laughs> experience for me. So would you say for yourself that it's been a bit of um, not only um, a need to possibly go out of your comfort zone, like you, you seem like you you knew that this was something that had to happen for you to, I don't know, just feel okay, you know, uh, during the day. But ha has that also been a bit of a balm for you? Yeah. So basically, before I started this, the only, the only people that knew about my anxiety and depression were my wife, her family, my family, and a couple of friends. And that was it. So I didn't, I was, I was one of those people that tried to kind of keep it a, a big secret whilst I was at work in my work environment, nobody around me knew that I've had this mental illness and did you feel the stigma? Yeah, there, there is, is, I think there really is. And I think it's getting better. I think it, I really yeah. think it's getting better, but because a lot more people are speaking about it, but I think that it's going to take a little while longer for it to be fully defeated. If oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But the, 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 we have to speak about these things for the language to be born, mm. you know, the language to be born. I mean, that's, that's what happens every time there's these new, you know, there's new terminology, you know, about whether it be about some new sort of, you know, uh, mental health si like situation or uh, a sociological or economic concept like when there's a new term and people are like, what's this? That's, this didn't exist when I was a kid. Oh, no, it did. It's just that nobody was talking about it. Mm -hmm. And it took, it took this month. It, it takes a lot of time before someone says, all right, here's a word. We've defined it. Call up Miriam. And you know what? Also Webster, while you're at it. Call up both of, call up both of them. Call up Oxford. Call up Cambridge. And then suddenly there's a word in the dictionary. But it takes a culture a very long time to, I guess, you know, come to that conclusion or definition, right? It's like yeah. a kind of a, I don't want to say pyramid, <laughs> but it builds up to a bottleneck. Does that make sense? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that it does take, it, it takes, I, yeah, because when you look back, to, I don't know, like 10 no, longer than that. I'm getting old, so <laughs> probably about 15 years ago when I was when I was back at school, I I didn't know what mental health was, and I didn't know that it even existed. I didn't know that it was a thing. I didn't realise that the way that I felt was down to something, or it was it was something that I, I thought was just something that was personally wrong with me. That I was this yes. massive warrior that just catastrophized everything and. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, and, and nobody else did. I don't think anybody realised what it was until until 
the last sort of probably about five years or so that people have began to sort of be like oh this mental health stuff is it's a real thing <laughs> and it's and it's and it's not going to go away so yeah I think that's why it's it's had a lot of prominence I think over the last sort of yeah five or so and particularly in this country well it's one of those things isn't it it's it it's always it's indicative of what your country prioritizes or what they believe to be true but what was the attitude before that is it always been a bit of like all right buck up you know walk it off you know grab a pint and yeah. get to it you know <laughs> like just, yeah. was that yeah. what it was like particularly growing up as as a as a kind of youngster longer than 20 years ago <laughs> i was i was never really encouraged to express my feelings i was always kind of never really told to or, or asked if i was okay i think and mm-hmm. that's that's no kind of that's that's not a negative towards my parents or or or, what, or those that brought me up but it's just mm-hmm. kind of something that it was kind of a bit misunderstood in a way the way the way that I kind of felt was kind of like this not sort of normally sort of thing and it it kind of got brushed under the carpet a little bit and I I, I think that's why I didn't really get the help probably that I needed at a younger age well I mean your parents would have you know dealt with it the way that they were taught you know and so if, if they came up in a way where nobody was talking about that then you know what else would they do what, you know, that's, yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, you know, that's, that's a huge generalization possibly, but like, yeah, it's one of those things, especially cause you're a man as well. And I'm assuming a straight man as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, are you familiar with bell hooks at all? No, I'm not. No. Bell Hooks is a American author, essayist, sort of social critic philosopher. And she had this very interesting definition for patriarchy. Because what you are describing, I would say, is a symptom of patriarchy, right? When we talk about, again, it's one of these big fat terms that people throw around, but have a hard time describing what it means in a domestic sense. So it's like, it just means when you're a man, shut up, (laughs) you know, and get to it. We don't, we're not raised to value our feelings or emotions or even to value talking about, thinking about, you know, those, those things. She had this definition for patriarchy that I thought, I think about a lot because it, it kind of points to, I would say, the cognitive dissonance that can become mental health issues, mental illness I would say. So it's, and this is where it gets controversial, right? So it's like, I'm like, this is a societal problem, bro. You know, I am in California, so I have to use that voice. <laughs> Yo, bro, it's just like whatever. Um, very common accent here. Um, she basically said patriarchy, she defined patriarchy as men are not allowed to express our feelings, our emotions outside of anger or violence she's like and therefore since men have created a world in which they are not allowed to love they substitute power for love okay and so this incessant obsession with gathering or having and maintaining power stands in for love and 
that slapped me in the face. <laughs> she, she said it probably in more, more succinctly than I, but it's just the, the I, I keep thinking about that because I'm like, wow, what an interesting way to put it. And it resonated with me, you know, because that is true. She's like, women get to talk about our, you know, she's like, we get to talk about our feelings, but you know, not in a way where they're necessarily validated, <laughs> you know, um, because men, we don't know how to talk about that stuff. You know, it's like, again, it's one of these things where I feel like if a culture doesn't care to address these things, then it always has that human cost, which is growing up believing you're not allowed to speak, you know, to your, to what's going on. And that, uh, well, I'm a man, so let me just pick up this hammer and this axe <laughs> and get to nailing and axing, <laughs> you know, axing. I don't know if that's the verb. Uh, anyway, I feel like I'm fully taking over your podcast right no, now. No, feel free to. It's, <laughs> I, I get what you mean, though, because I, I spoke to somebody quite recently. I can't remember if it was on the podcast or if it was just to a friend. I can't remember that. This this is kind of like overlapping with my life a little bit. So it's <laughs> but the the person said that when so when she lived with her parents whenever she was sad and her dad knew that she was sad his his comforting of her was to go around the house and fix stuff and that's that's literally what you just said in in kind of mm. in real terms i think because again men, service yeah because men don't know how to how, how to deal with that with, with situations like that and i think that I think me and you probably do because we've, we, we know <laughs> we, we've, we've experienced it, but I, I think that. Well, I'll be honest. I do that a lot. That is a, yeah. that is a, I, I, you know, my, my wife and I, you know, we've been getting into some rows here and there mainly because of the clutter and the clutter is here because I am attempting to fix things <laughs> as a means of showing her that I uh, care and yeah. I want to participate in this home and all these things that I'm not saying. It's very hard for me to go like, hey, I care and I want to participate in this home. Instead, I'm like, I'm just going to leave all these tools right here. She's like, the baby can get those. Okay. Hmm. Well, I'll stand in front of them. <laughs> you know, that sometimes I have to remember that like, oh, right, 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 right. Because my muscle memory will still just do the thing but I have to take that moment and go like, all right, what am I actually, you know, and hopefully, and luckily medications <laughs> have been helping a little bit with that. One mm. thing I really wanted to ask you about was, so, the, so I, I really enjoyed watching the, the soul pancake film that you took part in um, the laughing matters film, because I, th there was one, there was one bit, one quote that you said during that, that filming that really stuck out to me and I'm gonna to have to look at my notes to completely remember it and it's you said I'm a person that lives life so therefore I experience anxiety and depression <laughs> I, I love that I love and I, I heard that and I was like yes this guy knows exactly what he's talking about since I what like I've, I've watched it about five times now that that filming because I was a bit like these guys and, and and girls didn't know exactly what they're talking about. It's mm. it, there was a lot of there was a lot of conversation that came up in that. I was a bit like, oh, that makes it it makes a lot more sense to me now because I think you, I think as a as a comedian, I don't know if this is right, but as a comedian, I think that 
you'll experience so many different types of emotions in terms of performing and building up to that performance and writing the content that you must go through a lot of anxieties and and purely in just doing that well let me tell you this um because i'm a person that lives life you know <laughs> a friend of mine uh a comic in new york had a joke something about uh something i can't remember exactly what it is about anxiety or depression or i think he said he went to a doctor or the doctor said uh you know, I, I believe you have anxiety. Um, and he's like, yeah, that makes sense. Because I am looking around. <laughs> you know, I've got a bad case of seeing what's happening in the world. <laughs> and I was like, that's so funny. Because human experience in and of itself, you know, contains multitudes. They say that the average person has experienced the entire gamut of human emotion by the age of two. Wow. Right? So if that is true, then, you know, everything that we experience is born out of, you know, is rooted in those emotions. So then I'm like, all right, so I try to learn, you know, a little bit about developmental psychology or whatever the heck, but it's like when traumatic things or difficult things or confusing things or even just silent things happen if there's any whilst you're in the midst of developing your personality you know developing who you believe you are in the world and then developing how it is that you want to present yourself in the world you know those things Whatever is around you, the priorities of your family, your town, your country, you know, your political party, <laughs> all these things have influence on you, right? So this is like, you know, people go like, oh, yeah, nature versus nurture, right? That's the guy from Venice again, the surfer. <laughs> I'm so sorry if he keeps making appearances. Um, <laughs> nah, nature versus nurture, bro. I'm like, all right, yeah, I get that. But um, I guess I'm talking about it from the perspective of if you're taking in things you know, you've already had your life. You already are a person. So it's like, we're living in three moments. When you have mental, uh, when you have mental health issues, mental illness, you're living in three dimensions at once. You're living in the present moment. You're living in the future, which is your anxiety. And you're living in the past, which is your depression. So you could say in this very, esoteric way you're being pulled in different directions <laughs> while you're trying trying to stay in one place and so that becomes this kind of well i know that i was told this but it went this way and i feel bad about this okay so the next time i get there ooh, if something like that happens again i'm gonna blah blah blah, blah. hey luke yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah can you give me that coffee please i'm sorry you were squeezing it really hard right there. What were you thinking about? Literally nothing. I'm going to leave. So it's kind of like if you are just trying to get through your day, you know, that is <laughs> a lot. Yeah. What a, what a, what a, what a tangent. <laughs> I've never thought about it like that before. I've never thought of depression being the past anxiety in the future i've never thought of it like that. i don't know why but that's yeah well a teacher told this to me i went to theater school i think a lot of theater training 
um, I was classically trained, whatever that means. Um, that'll mean something to possibly some of your listeners. Um, you know, I have to say it like that, classically trained. Classically, I was classically trained. Um, I'm working on my, <laughs> working on my RP. Um, the, I feel like a lot of theater training, a lot of theories about acting and stuff like that um, are armchair Buddhism. You know, because it's like a lot of actors and performers stumbled upon Buddhism because they had to do a show, and thus that 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 asked them to contemplate what it meant to be in the moment, and so all of these theories were born over you know millennia about how to capture that, but you know it goes into this whole thing about like public versus private self. I feel like. A lot of things I've learned about acting fold very nicely into a lot of things I've learned about psychology and also the way that the body reacts chemically to all of these things that we get. If we're, if we're stuck in the future and the past and the present moment, there actually is a chemical reaction. You know what I mean? You are, you are in a, you're stressed. Mm -hmm. You're stressed about something that literally hasn't happened. You know what I mean? And you're stressed about something that has already happened. You could say that's a, I don't know, a traumatic disorder from stress that's post, a post-stress traumatic disorder. I, I don't know where that comes from, but it's just, I'm just grabbing at terms here. I'm being sarcastic. Uh, sardonic, I should even say. But all I'm saying is that like, that's, that chemically attacks your system. It overloads you with adrenaline it overloads you with all of these chemicals and I, have you ever seen that 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 uh, documentary what the bleep do we know you ever heard you ever heard of that thing i've heard of it i've not seen it no they describe um mental illness as almost like an addiction because any feeling we have our brain makes a chemical right mm -hmm. so if we have a certain feeling a lot that our brain makes a lot of that chemical to the point that that becomes now our brain's normal, you know, need. It needs an overload of that emotion to feel like it's at stasis. That's where it becomes chemical imbalance and stuff like that. So it's like, that. that's what I thought was really interesting about it because it's like, wow. So it's like, we become addicted to our own actual brain chemicals <laughs> to the point that it affects us in all these other ways where a doctor is telling me, wow, you have chronic fatigue, you know, or you, your adrenal glands are great or you're pre-diabetic and all, all of these, your, your immune system is going insane. You know, it's like, oh, because I have a lot of, if I'm just constantly on edge, spitting out the chemical of, of cortisol, I believe that's what the stress chemical chemical mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Then yeah. I'm going to have, there's going to be a physical, and they always say, oh, stress causes disease, stress causes sickness. And you go to, you get sick and you go to the doctor and like, well, uh, you know, try not to be stressed. And you're like, what? But, I, yeah. <laughs> but I'm living life. <laughs> oh, I tied it together in the end of my rant. Uh, that was brilliant. No, I, I like that. In, in your career, so would you, I don't know, I don't know if you can answer this because you, you don't know what it would have been like had you not had a mental illness but do you think that in some respects you've 
by having a mental illness, it's helped you helped your career in ways that it wouldn't have done it had you not. So it kind of gives, well, again, going back to the Soul Pancake documentary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot, a lot of the comedians, including yourself and there, sort of said that without having a mental illness, you, it kind of it gives you the creativity, it gives you the ideas that you come up with and it helps you develop these ideas and turn them into reality. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that, again, you might not know whether it, <laughs> whether it did or not, but do you think that sometimes having anxiety and depression gives you that experience and gives you those life experiences that you wouldn't not necessarily not have if you didn't have them? Absolutely. Sometimes I describe anxiety as the creative impulse that I've turned into a weapon to punish myself with. Because anxiety, what is anxiety but storytelling? You know, what is anxiety but if I do this, then this is going to happen. And if I do that, then this is going to happen. Then this is going to happen and that's going to happen. It's if this, then that, you know, spiraling down of you or, you know, I'll say myself, telling myself a story that keeps me frozen you know or it makes it so i can't get out of bed one day but if i were to put that on paper you know then people will go like this is great and i love that it's a space monkey you know what i mean so like or whatever so it's like that is the the being able to translate if you will and that's that's what um being an artist affords some of us to be able to do is to be able to release those feelings you know the 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 old theater term is catharsis you know release so it's like you have to recognize the feeling you know to be able to release it and so that is what we can do when we act or write or whatever that is that can happen that is one of the reasons so many of us are attracted to that however the realities of the industry are a fully different system that mostly was not created by any creative person you know it was created by business people yeah yeah and and so when you are a creative person having to who who all you want to do is perform or make people laugh or make people think or make people feel and tell your stories that is very different than the realities of what you have to do to make that happen and so that's where a lot of people have struggle is is having to and that's where I have struggled, having to navigate, having to navigate the actual responsibilities of this industry. Um, so that's where, I, you know, and I think with this, with Soul Pancake, and I think, you know, one of the reasons it was made is because, you know, we unfortunately had, and unfortunately in this pandemic as well, had a few people that, you know, are part of our karma community take their own lives, you know, and I can't help but think that, you know, especially because these are a lot of these people are respected, loved individuals, and it's tragic to us because they don't know how loved they were. But we also go, well, I don't know how loved I am. So I get it, you know, but, but we, the realities of the industry, and, you know, when you look at your bank account, and when you look at your life and you go, my goodness, what, what am I doing here? Um, you know, that's, that's very hard to reconcile, you know, and I, I'm not trying to justify, you know, anything. I guess I'm just saying that, like, it is hard. <laughs> it is hard when you have your passion 
you know, the thing that you believe makes you, you blocked, mm -hmm. you know, by a full industry of people who are telling you they don't get it or don't get you or there's not a place for you, or I don't think the audience would understand you. Sometimes it's, it feels as complicated as being told you don't exist. We have this part, you're not right for it because you're not right. But I exist, not for us. Mm -hmm. We don't think that the world will understand that you exist. You know what I mean? And that's when people get told be more like this or be less like that. Sometimes it can be interpreted as we know what people think is normal and you're not so hmm. and that's a very it's a very tricky idea to get caught on what is it i was it was it i want to be true wish were true wish weren't true and know to be true and so it's like those statements can offer you setups, you know, springboards. But for a person with mental illness, you know, or mental health, sometimes those statements are frightening. <laughs> you know, it might, yeah. if for a comedian, the setup is like, you know, I don't like to wake up in the morning. I had a joke that that was my setup. I don't like to wake up in the morning turned into a bit for me. That, that was like a sentence I know to be, something I know to be true about myself. I don't like to wake up in the morning. Now, if I was doing this in a mental health situation, um, it might be something like, um, I don't like to wake up in the morning for I know I shall fail, <laughs> you know, or something like that, where it's like, then there's this dagger that we put to ourselves, you know, almost like a demon, as some people say. So I take those things and try to release them, right? Catharsis. These are the things that become the stories. These are the things that become jokes, scripts, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, continuing to, to dig into that stuff, I definitely want to make films. Um, and I want to try to do the, the Orson Welles model uh, where, in which I've written, I act in it, and I direct it because why not be an egomaniac in every <laughs> single sphere? Why not? Exactly. Why not? Yeah, yeah. You got into being a comedian uh, well, you, you wanted to be a comedian at a very young age. So I, I read at the age of eight and it was, it was because, you, yeah, it, it's kind of like you, you didn't fit into your surroundings at a young age. And I, th I think that happens again, from what I've read over the past couple of weeks, that happens to mm -hmm. comedians quite a lot where they can't put themselves in a particular box. So they resort to kind of making people laugh to, I guess, win people over or mm -hmm. get, respect or as a defense mechanism yeah yeah and the the anxieties that come with that must be pretty horrendous because one you're putting yourself out there to kind of essentially fail and two if if you're not going to make these people laugh or or kind of like look up to you it's going to be like oh oh what have i done <laughs> it's kind of kind of thing Did no you... and a great comedian you know he may he rest a piece his name was patrice o'neill i read an interview with him a long long time ago in which he basically said something that was uh, you know akin to the matrix you know there is no spoon somebody asked him like how do you feel about bombing on stage and he said there is no bombing there's no such thing 
And I was like, what the hell is he talking about? I have been on stage with 300 people with their arms crossed, booing me off of it. What is he talking about? And he is talking about there's no bombing because if this audience doesn't enjoy me, I still got to say what I needed to say. The, he's like, my only, my only mission is to go up there and say what I want to say. If they don't like it or not, that's fine if I still achieved my goal. And that is so Buddhist, <laughs> you know, to me, that is like nirvana. And I was like, wow, because he has to let go of an external failure. You know, he has to have a, a sense of self and confidence that, you know, um, he built over the course of multiple decades. So uh, to your question, which was about uh, the kind of the stress, right? Uh, or the intimidation factor of- Yeah, yeah. And yes, I think that, that it's part of, the intimidation factor of creating things is part of what is scary about it, but it's also part of what's exciting about it. Because any comedian who has been doing it for a number of years, we have learned that we can, over and over again, overcome that. Mm -hmm. I will be booed Tuesday, come Thursday, they will be laughing. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it can be a little too obsessive, but turning that into, you know, and if we developed it when we were children as survival mechanisms, then as adults, we have to reconcile the difference between then and now, you know, then it was survival because I didn't want to get punched in the face, <laughs> you know, now it's my job. But you have to still, the irony is the, the more that you work on yourself and the more that you live your life, the better you will be up there. Because the more that you live in the moment, then the more, the more you'll have to report when it's time to report. You know, and, and then also having this sense of calm and ease, you know, that I still struggle with. You know, these are all theoretical things that I aspire to do. Um, I aspire for, and this is a key, key thing I wanted to say before I left. One of the most valuable words I think I have learned or have been contemplating this last year is neutrality. I don't have to feel good about things. I don't have to feel bad about things. I aspire to feel neutral. Because then you can see it for what it actually is as opposed to how I feel about it. Because I know that my systems of recognition for how I feel are quite malfunctional. So if I can step back and not fully react from that place and aspire to feel neutral, then I can see it for what it is. And that will help me make a different decision, you know, as opposed to a knee-jerk reaction. And that applies to literally every single aspect of life. I'm not saying it's, it's not okay to feel good about things. Of course, it's okay to feel good about things. I'm also saying it's okay to feel bad about things. There is this obsession about like, I'm not allowed to feel bad about things. Yeah. If I feel bad, I'm not happy. C incorrect. I don't think that happiness is a permanent state of being in which you must be in full perpetual pursuit of. It is a... Um, I still don't know exactly what it is. I just know that you can't grab it and put it in your pocket and go like, ah, oh, it got out. It got out of my pocket and now I feel bad. No, you feel it when you feel it. And then sometimes you feel bad. So 
it's like feel neutral about feeling bad. <laughs> if that makes any sense. No, I no, I totally get it because I, I again, like, I don't know why I've heard it recently, but it's, you're allowed to feel bad. You're allowed to feel good. You're allowed to feel how you want to feel. You don't exactly make yourself feel. So it's, it's kind of like if you're at, if again back back to the days when you go to a party or go mm-hmm. to the pub or something like that, you go, but you'd be like, right, I'm going to go to the pub with my mates. I'm going to have a couple of beers um, and just hang out. And then you kind of think, oh, I don't, I'm not in a good frame of mind today. And you could, mm-hmm. back, back in the day, I would have been like, oh, I should be in a really happy mood because I'm going to see my friends. I'm going to hang out with my friends and, and just have a couple of drinks, maybe watch football or something like that. But now I'm just like, I can tell my friends that I don't feel great. I can actually say to them, oh, I'm not in a good mood today. I'm having a bad day. Like in case I'm a bit quiet or don't say a lot, it's because I'm not having a good day. Whereas back in, back in the day, I, I couldn't have said that couldn't have done it right and what you're talking about i think is asserting boundaries yeah a little bit yeah because that's the thing i have difficulty with i feel like i owe everybody everything if someone asks me to come out well i better go or they'll stop asking you know like it's a but it's still fear-based i'm not going because i want to hang out i'm going because i'm afraid that they'll never ask me to hang out again you know, but if I go like, ah, no, I'm not feeling it tonight. You guys have fun though. That's fully legitimate, you know, and most people will go like, okay, <laughs> you know, and then they'll appreciate when you do the same for them. Yeah. And, and if it, someone's it, like, fuck you, you know, then <laughs> perhaps there's something toxic happening. But it's, it's kind of a bit like, it's, it's that classic case of you, you're about to hang out with a friend. And then they're waiting for you to cancel on them because they're not in a great mood. And then you end up canceling. They're like, thank god that you've cancelled because i couldn't be asked i couldn't and i've had that before i've got i've got one friend and we're both we're both really anxious and mm. like we we tell each other everything because we're we're i don't know like we're quite similar people i guess in a way but she's always a bit like thank god you cancelled on me because i couldn't be fucked up. <laughs> mm. like, yeah I've, but i think it's more it's more acceptable to be like that now because you can mm-hmm. express your mm-hmm. feelings whereas back in the day you just would have looked like i don't know you it wouldn't have been cool to bail on people would it i don't think back in the day. well you can't express your feelings unless you learn to be aware of them you know if, if you want to move through the world in a conscious manner you have to recognize the unconscious things that you have been doing because if you're not moving in a, if you're not making decisions from a conscious place you're making them from an unconscious place and God knows what you stuffed down there, (laughs) you know, that is pushing the buttons and pulling the levers, you know? um, But if you are acting from a conscious place, then, then you can be, then you can assert your authority. You know, essentially you, you are in control. It's like, then there's not a, it's not a problem to be accountable, you know, or responsible because you're conscious of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Um, that's very conceptual, <laughs> you know, but it, but it is kind of like, it, it is like work on your damage, I guess, is, is the simplest way to say it, because uh, uh, otherwise your damage will work you. You're, you're in front of a camera a lot and you're on stage and you, you, you do voiceovers, you do loads of different things. How, how do you kind of o- overcome your anxieties to, I guess, do those things? To, to begin with because I guess when you're waiting to go on a stage full of 
people or you're about to act a certain scene in a, in a, in, mm-hmm. a, in a series or in a film or something like that. You must, again, I've, I've, again, I've, I've done no acting. I've done nothing like that. So in my head, I'm a bit like, that must be the most difficult thing ever to do. Hmm. Well, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, sometimes I feel more comfortable up there than I do in just my regular life. Um, I get used to performance. You know, it's sometimes it's easier to go on stage and make 300 people laugh for a full hour than it is to, you know, be honest about something that happened to me when I was 10 to my wife, you know, because the stakes are different. You know, my wife, I know I'm going to have to see tomorrow. This audience will be gone in an hour, you know? So it's like, for me, it's, it's, it's easier to, to bring the person that has, I've decided I need to be for a show or uh, an acting role, you know, that I've been able to sit here and consider how to put it together um, and, and how to think about it. And I've analyzed it and, and worked on it, but in, in real life, you know, that's harder for me because it's unpredictable. And, you know, there is not another take, <laughs> you know, there isn't a rewrite. If you say something horrible to someone, they heard it and they're going to remember it forever. So it's like, Hmm, okay. We can't edit that out. Uh, can we go back and do that? Like, no, no, you, you, this is a eulogy for a funeral and you've disrespected my father. Whoa. Like, it's just, I'm, that's not a real thing. I'm just being funny, but like, you know, it is that thing where I feel more in control. You know, they say that stand up especially is the domain of the control freak because you are the writer and the director and the performer. You don't need anything. You go up there, one mic, I've already written all the material. No one touch me. No one look at me. I'm going to talk. You don't talk except for laughter. You know, they're like, like there's one reaction you can have is laughing and clapping. Thank you. Um, so it's like a one-sided conversation that we go up there to do. It's fully, I am in control. I am the one who has the power. And when you do it well, and when you get good at it, and you feel comfortable there, you know, I remember one time I was working out and things weren't going well in my personal life. And I was working out and my, I was working with a trainer and this guy was like, your form is perfect. And I, and I was like, oh, cool. And it's because it's specific movements in a specific way. And I'm like, at least I can do this well. I can do this one thing right. I can't be in a relationship. I don't know how to balance my books. However, 10 curls where I just keep my core engaged, I can do that. And so it was like, I just wanted to be able to do something well once that day, you know, or, or during that time in my life. So that was the thing, you know, and sometimes performing is that thing where it's like, it's going to happen. And for a certain amount of time, I know what I'm saying. I know who I'm saying it to. And then when it's over, I can go, you know, and I'm, and I feel good about it, hopefully. But when I'm home, you know, the heat is on. That's the real show. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, and that's, that's the thing. I, I, yeah, I, I can kind of relate to that a little bit. Well, look, if I'm on stage and someone in the audience is like, you suck, and I can go, fuck you, <laughs> just yell at them, rip them apart, have them thrown out. But if my wife is like, you suck, well, can't go fuck you. Go. <laughs> <laughs> because that would not go. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
come on, honey, don't do that right now. Boat next. <laughs> Stick with your day job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't think that guy down too well. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like my childhood was on the streets. I had control because I knew I could always leave or I knew I could maneuver it. But at home, I did not. You know, it was a it was a toxic environment. And so, and it was unpredictable. And unfortunately, that's how I think home feels, mm. is, is, is a minefield. So I'm trying very hard for the sake of my partner to not react to that way, you know? And, and also I was very much kept inside when I was a kid. So this pandemic kind of puts me in that state as well. Like mom's mad and she's hovering outside my door, sort of a feeling. But that, as my therapist says, that was then, this is now, which I have to continue to say to myself. I think that the way that you're brought up and the environment that you're brought up in has a massive, massive in impact on the way that you develop and behave as an adult. Because, again, I, I, I think my anxiety came when, I've said this before on another podcast, but it, it kind of like developed as a teenager, I think, because my parents split up when I was a teenager and I, I kind of like found mm. out everything about that breakup. I was, I was there. I was like, it was, it's kind of like a episode of a, a, a sick, well, not a sitcom. That sounds really bad, but like it's, it's kind of like a television episode. <laughs> it, sort of, it sort of played out as like a, Oh, um, this, this has happened. And, and then you get like, it's kind of like a sort of like scene, like a scene on scene sort of thing so yeah it was just um it's horrible and i've grown up mm. with that kind of in the back of my head and i've had counseling for it previously and i'll, I'll probably still continue mm -hmm. to counseling for it but i think like you've just mentioned i think that growing up the environment that you grow up in and the way that you are brought up as a, as a child does have a massive impact on your adult life too absolutely absolutely because what what language do you speak just english Yes, exactly. You speak that language because you grew up in an environment in which everyone around you was speaking English. And so your brain was like, oh, I think I know what these letters and vowels mean. You were also being taught the language of love. You were also being taught the language of, of interdependency or codependency. So you, we all have been taught a language whether we are aware of it or not, <laughs> you know, from the environment that we grew up in. And so, again, it's about becoming aware of the language that you're using, because the biggest thing for me, and this is something that I realized in my 20s, which is I realized I had been making the mistake of assuming universals. This per person who I love or is my friend or who I'm working with has the exact same language and priorities as I No, that is very rarely the case. And so I have to, you know, that's how I kind of learn to, to respect somebody else's opinion or to come to a, a, an agreement as opposed to why don't you just see it the way I see it? Are you dim? Is that what it is? You know, where it's like I become judgmental or dismissive because I'm so attached to the way that I do things because that's the, and that's where sometimes people go like, why don't, why don't they know how to do the things that I do? Yeah. Sometimes that's just assumed universals. That's, that's a, it's, it's gigantically presumptuous 
Thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I was a bit starstruck when you said yes, to be honest, because I was a bit like, oh my God, it's Baron Vaughan. It's, it's, it's the actual Baron Vaughan. And <laughs> yeah, it, no, you, 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 yeah, you don't understand how much it means to me that you've come on, on my show because it's been, it's been, yeah, it's been amazing chatting to you. And I've, I've learned a lot off of you as well. And I love that in every podcast that I record, I do end up learning a lot, but in particular, I've learned a lot on this podcast. Oh, why, thank you, Luke. Um, I hope that you don't come back later and said, everything you taught me was bollocks. Uh, you know, I hope you come back and say everything you taught me was the dog's bollocks, right? That's the one that means good. Yeah, yeah. No, it is the dog's bollocks, definitely. It is. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming on again. Well, thank you, sir. And if I find myself up an hour northish of London towards Birmingham um, on my way to join the Peaky Blinders, I'll make sure to look you up. Perfect. That sounds fantastic. Thank you, Baron. And yeah, have a great rest of the day because I think you're about six or seven hours behind me, possibly. Yes, it's one thirty-five here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, eight hours. Yes. Oh, is it 9.35 there? Yeah, yeah. Almost bedtime for me. (laughs) Yes, get get thee to a bettery. Um, (laughs) Until next time, Luke. Good night. Baron, speak to you soon. A huge thank you to Baron for coming on and opening up about his experiences of mental illness and for chatting to me on the back of a therapy session. You know what's coming next. I say this at the end of every episode, but I'm not a mental health professional, nor are most of my guests. These podcasts are purely based on experiences or opinions, so if you're suffering from a mental illness, I'd strongly advise contacting someone who's qualified or speak to one of the many great charities out there who offer help and advice on the majority of mental illnesses. I've included a link in the podcast notes in case you need them. Thank you for listening and make sure you share, subscribe and review the episode if you've enjoyed it. Have a great week and see you next week. Bye.